evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Bethel Radio Hour, where Bible study and radio collide. Tonight in our segments, we will, we will be discussing Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 14, building the Mount Rushmore of Bethel potluck dishes and desserts, and continuing our discussions on Israel. I am Molly Kingston, your producer and fourth chair panelist. Joining me in first chair is Pastor Ben Kingston. Dad, what are the songs that make you sing along whenever you hear them? Oh, my. If I know them, it's just about any song, it seems like. I'm trying to think. Uh, right now, someday when my last line is written, is just on my head all the time. Good, good. Um, and unfortunately, Dr. Gavin Hooks was unable to join us. He's not feeling well, so prayers go out to him that he gets to feeling better and can join us again next week. But we have Ryan Mayberry in the third chair. What is or what are the songs that make you sing along whenever you hear them? I'm with Ben. Basically, anything I hear is just stuck in my head. See, I was kind of nervous that that would be everyone's answer because I was also my answer. <laughs> and so I was like, I mean, I sing with every song. But I kind of, I tried to pick three. So the first one was Happy by Farrell Rist Williams. Um, Sweet Caroline and Hey yeah. Mickey. Right. Like those are ones, like even if I'm feeling <laughs> low, yeah. Oh, yeah. if they come on, I have to, you know, sing just with them a little bit. So those of you in the audience, if you would like to share your answer to those questions, I got one. I'll read it in just a second. You can text the number on the screen and I will share them through the show. This also applies to any other questions or topics of discussions that we may broach later on. Um, I got a response from Rob. He says Crowder's um, Red Letters. There you go. The song Red Letters. I love Crowder. He's coming to concert, and I'm going. So it, I'm, ex I'm super excited. Um, also, if you are listening later online, you can like and comment your answer on the Facebook post and share with others so they can join in on the fun. I do want to say that I have been failing in that, so there haven't been Facebook posts, but hopefully I will get <sighs> on that again, especially because last week we did a very special BRH snow special. We came... Um, to church, even though Awana was canceled, and recorded an hour and a half show. Yeah, yeah. Iron 15 for sure. Also had Tara Yerke and Tom Mays. It was as a guest BRH speakers. reunion. Yes, yes. So, so it's on, and it's online. It right is now. online at the Bethel um, website, and I think also on the podcast on the Apple podcast. BethelLondale.com. Yes. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into the first segment, and I'll read those verses, and then Dad, you can take the lead. You got it. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he hath given them, sorry, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Oh, that was one of Paul's famous uh, long sentences, run-on mm -hmm. sentences. All commas. All right. So, uh, something that Warren Wiersbe said that I believe is very applicable here to verse 7. Paul moves now from what all Christians have in common to how Christians differ from each other. So, you know, he, for three chapters, he's been talking about how the Gentiles do fit in with the Jews. We are all one body. Uh, we're saved by one God. Uh, we have one Savior. We have one baptism and the such. Well, now he says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Uh, there's a lot of different definitions for grace. Uh, the two I personally like, God's riches at Christ's expense. But then you also have God's power to do his will. You know, when, when, when you know, okay, this is what God wants me to do, but your flesh says, nah, I can't do that. That's where God, God's grace comes in. He gives you his power to do what his will is. But what about specific grace gifts? And that's what is in line here. 
uh, in a moment, he's going to talk about four specific ones, and we'll get into that. But uh, you got to go to Romans uh, chapter 12 to look at the what I call seven motivational gifts. And then the other two lists, one in, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, and then the other one uh, is, I believe, in Galatians. Um, but you, you know, the word of knowledge, uh, the, the, the gift of healing, so on and so forth. Well, now we're getting into the high weeds of what gifts are still used today and which gifts aren't. And even though I think that's a, an excellent discussion to have, that we really don't have time for that tonight. With that said, uh, I believe what he's got in play here are the seven motivational gifts as well as the ones that he's going to literally you know, point out. Every one of us has one of those seven motivational gifts that we got at spiritual birth. Uh, you either are an organizer or you are a teacher or you are a mercy or you are a uh, prophet, which that doesn't mean the ability to foretell, but the ability to foretell, and we're going to get into that again because that's another one that he named. Um, and then you've got also the servant, and then there's two others that I always struggle to remember uh, out of Romans chapter 12. But uh, with that said, you're given one of these at spiritual birth, but then you are meant to cultivate all of them so that you can effectively serve Christ in his body. Now, we've got here right now, while us three are in here, and uh, you know, the 15 or so folks that were taking advantage of this Bible study, we've got 20-plus adults that are in the trenches <laughs> with kids in yeah. kids' ministry. Well, why are we not there? It's not our gift. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and, and praise the Lord, folks are gifted to work with those kids, and praise the Lord for those that know that they're not gifted because mm. uh, you're just going to aggravate everybody because you're going to be grumpy and such of that nature. So, and yes, that's meant to be, to be somewhat funny. But uh, any questions from you guys or, or comments or additions on verse 7? I'm in full agreement so far. There you go. Uh, so, the, when you get into 8 and 9, uh, you know, he ascended. He ascended up on high. He led captivity captive. He gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? In verse 10, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. You've got men and churches that have made doctrines out of those three verses. And they get again, into the high weeds of what does that mean? In my humble opinion, uh, it's important to not take those three verses out of context. It simply means that Christ is the victorious ruler. He rules in heaven, and he overcame hell. And as a result, he has gifted men to help the church in her effort to reach the world with the gospel. That's what it means. And to add anything else to this is to get subverted and potentially sidetracked. You know, and that's something that has been a sugar stick of mine uh, for all these years here at Bethel. Uh, it's important to keep the main thing the main thing and not get involved in the sidetracks that the devil wants us to get involved in. <coughs> you know, length of hair, length of clothes. You know, all these things that all of us have to make decisions on, and God wants to be a part of those decisions. But when we start telling everyone else, you've got to live by these rules too, then we get in trouble, mm -hmm. you know. And so we stay in the context of this passage, and Paul is trying to prepare us to serve through the church. Let's don't get subverted by, well, what did Christ do in hell? What did he do in heaven? He gifted us. He gifted us. So verse 11, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Now, no, he does not... Uh, and the word escaped me just then, but, but he, he does not exhaust the list of motivational gifts. He's giving the gifts that are specific to the lead leaders of the church. So you've got four that are listed here. One, two, three, four. Four because pastors and teachers are considered together. So that's the same person. Uh, so apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then pastors slash teachers. Now, we know that he's specifically pointing out the leaders because in verse 12 he says, 
for the perfecting of the saints. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Well, what are the apostles? Anybody want to venture a guess on that? Or do you know? The 12 who... Correct. ...did the ministry with Jesus, who saw Jesus. There, that, there are people who had a connection and right. an eyewitness with Jesus. That's right. They, to be an apostle, you have to have had an eyewitness. And, and this, Warren Wiersbe said, of his resurrection. Mm. You had to see him after that makes a lot more death, sense. burial, yeah. and resurrection, mm -hmm. right. And so... Because there was a lot of people who had eyewitnesses of his ministry. Correct, correct. And so the apostles were the foundation of the church. Pastor Peter at Jerusalem, you know, um, and then and the such. So do we have apostles today? No. The answer is no. Are there some denominations that claim that they have apostles? Sure, but that's between them and God and the Bible. Uh, it's our understanding uh, to be a scriptural New Testament church. The apostles are set in stone, and they are gone. And their work exists and lives through the word of God, and we don't have apostles today. We don't need apostles today and the such. Well, the next one listed is prophets. These were men that maybe did not have an eyewitness view uh, of the resurrection of Christ, but they were used previous to Christ's burial, uh, death, burial, and resurrection, and after as men that God spoke his divine word through. And so, uh, you know, how many years after Christ's death, a thousand or so, maybe two, that the word of God was not in paper form yet. And so how did God speak to his church? He spoke through his prophets. So do you uh, believe that the word of God now has eliminated that? Absolutely. Eliminated prophets? Uh, in that sense. Uh, I believe I have the spiritual gift of prophecy, but again, not to foretell, but to forthtell, F-O-R-T-H. So uh, today's prophet has the ability to apply God's word to a situation. That's a gift you want a preacher to have or, or a counselor or whatever the case may be. But a woman can be a prophet as well. A prophet today sees black and white. They see clearly right and wrong. Well, you need those folks, you know. But you also need a mercy close by. <laughs> because if a prophet's not careful, they're going to be too harsh and hard on a situation and as such. Other comments? Not on that. The prophet's part. Right. So those are the two that he lists here. That according to scripture, because uh, 1 Corinthians says, uh, when that which is part, uh, okay, when that which is in part passes away, then that which is perfect has come. Um, and that's a terrible uh, paraphrase of that verse. But uh, the, the things that were needed, the miracles, the firsthand knowledge of Jesus Christ, uh, all of the signs and miracles, those are no longer needed. We have the word of God. Uh, and the word of God and the spirit of God is enough. And so we do not need a person to tell us what God is saying. We can see it ourselves. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. So evangelist, uh, this is the person that has the God-given ability to share the gospel. Now, this is what you've got to be careful of. Well, okay, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism, so I don't have to share the gospel. Mm -hmm. Nope. Uh, you, you can't say that. Why? Because he gave us the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to every church and every individual in the church. So whether you've got the gift of evangelism or not, you're supposed to evangelize. Now, is it easier if you have the gift of Oh, well, absolutely. And praise God for it. Do you want to saddle your wagon up to a person that has the gift of evangelism so they can help you with your evangelism? You bet. Such of that nature. Um, Dale... Pelton, to be very honest with you, probably has the gift of evangelism because the guy can do it, uh, and, and he's also got a heart for it, and, and that's a big part of it as well. Would it be splitting hairs if we Please. made a difference between evangelists, evangelists and witnesses? So, like, Absolutely. if I don't have the gift of evangelism, I am simply You're just a, a witness, witness yeah. of God's... You're just a witness. I'm, I'm just... <laughs> But then the evangelists, you know, are like the Billy Grahams and yes. the Dale Peltons and things like that nature. Yeah, yep. that's a good that's a good way to put it. Um, uh, an evangelist, th they're not going to 
have peace unless they are evangelizing. Now, I, I think you can say that for the quote-unquote common everyday Christian, too. Uh, there's just a different level of it. Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, and, and so uh, I, I, Billy Graham is probably the best, and maybe even Franklin Graham, too. Yeah. I mean, the, it just comes natural. Uh, if you've ever heard Franklin Graham preach, I mean, it's, wow. Uh, and I feel the same way about Billy Graham uh, and the such. Uh, Lord, Greg Greg Laurie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Greg Laurie in California. He's got a movie coming out, Jesus Revolution. Oh, yeah, that looks really, it, really it good. It just rolls from his tongue. You know, Ch- uh, Chad Ingram, <coughs> Chip, Chip Ingram, rolls from his tongue. And so these guys most likely are gifted evangelists. Are we running out of time? No, we're good. Okay, so pastors and teachers. Now, obviously, most of us are going to be able to go, oh, yeah, well, sure, that makes sense. But But here's the thing about pastors and teachers. And, and, you know, we got a lot of folks out there that, that are, are trying to lift things beyond what they were intended to do. I think that pastors and teachers have done a disservice to the church by saying, essentially, that the greatest thing you can do is to be a pastor of a church. No, the greatest thing that you can do is to be obedient to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Period. Right. End of story. Because it comes down to gifting. You know, I've told here for how many years, Bob Rapold telling me, I couldn't do what you do. And the response from me was, well, Bob, I can't do what you do. Build a house from the ground up. Why? Because I haven't gotten Bob Rapold's giftings. He hasn't gotten my giftings. So it makes sense that we would sit here when we're looking at someone else and go, I couldn't do that. It's because you haven't been assigned that. You haven't been asked to do that. So it really comes down to assignment. And so, no, one person's not better than the other because they've been given a particular assignment because too many Christians have taken that as an excuse. Okay, you know, I'm off the hook. Right. You know, so I'm going to build my houses and I'm just going to stay to myself and do my thing, you know. Well, praise God, Bob didn't take that. Bob's actively involved in the church and uh, actively involved in bringing people to Christ and such of that nature uh, because that's every person's responsibility no matter their assignment. So look at verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints. So it's not the preacher's job to win the lost and grow the church only. Right. It's the pastor's job to teach everybody how to win the lost and grow the church. Uh, and so, you know, remember what Vernon Lee uh, told me, uh, that if I can help every person in the church realize that it is their personal responsibility, the growth and the maturity of the church, when everyone takes that as their responsibility, the church is going to grow. Mm-hmm. She's just going to grow. Questions? Comments? i just thinking of... Like we have the list of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and then the saints, really. God is a God of order. And like you said, we all have our personal assignment. And so he has crafted a well-working machine that if we will allow ourselves to put ourselves in our assignment, then we will be part of the church, uh, the working church. And we won't be any better, like you said, than anyone else or any less than anyone else. And ultimately, you'll find more satisfaction that way, because if that's your purpose in life, then if you're fulfilling it, you'll be a lot happier. Not that happiness is the goal, but it would be a good uh, byproduct of doing the right thing. Yeah. Well, again, order. I think your life will feel in order because you are in the spot that you were created for. Amen. Well, so look at what he says here. uh, For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. A body that's working is edifying one another. Mm -hmm. And it's fun. You know, um, and, and I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. It's kind of happened by accident, uh, and I say that. I mean, the Holy Spirit has put it together, but I didn't sit in my office one day and say, I'm going to start asking the church every Sunday to give a testimony, uh, and, and, you know, that's going to bring a greater edification to the body. I just started doing it. Uh, I'd get up here, and the Holy Spirit would say, hey, you know, see if somebody wants to share something, you know. And, and before you know it, that's almost an every Sunday thing now. And people are sharing stuff. And as they share stuff, it excites the body, mm-hmm. you know. Well, you know, so Brother Ben doesn't get any of the credit. <laughs> you know, that, that was the Holy Spirit doing that. Uh, but that is also my job. My job is to make sure that the uh, body is doing the work of the ministry. And as a result, it brings edification to the body. 
and of course, of course, 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Everybody advantages, if you will, uh, by hearing what God is doing in other people's life. Uh, so the first evidence of spiritual growth, Warren Wiersbe says, is Christ-likeness. And so what are we supposed to grow unto? A perfect man, uh, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A mature church is going to be a working church. A working church is going to be a maturing church. You just can't help but grow as you give yourself to the ministry. And, you know, I've said this before. When you and I go and we get in the trenches, well, it's going to hurt. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a blessing. It's going to stretch us. We're going to have to get dig deeper into the Word to do what we've been called to do. What does that do? On Sunday, we're hungry. We, we come hungry, and we worship and we listen, and we grow, and then we get back in the trenches. So unto a perfect man. That word perfect simply means mature. All right. I think we can stop on sure. verse 13 this week. We'll continue with 14 next week. As a, oh, what's it called? Segway. I have another person texted in. Okay, and of course I am not suggesting you listen to these songs. These are simply the songs that sh they sing to when they come on. It's a Poison by Alice Cooper. <laughs> is that Randy Rayfield? <laughs> no, this is actually <laughs> Layla. <laughs> 23 by, is it Chance Beckham, Chase Beckham, and Don't Blame Me by Taylor Swift. So again, I'm not suggesting we listen. <laughs> I don't know. I Praying haven't listened to later. them, so I can't say. <laughs> right. All right. So Mount, Mount Rushmore of Bethel's potluck dishes or desserts. I'm really actually very sad that Uncle Gavin is not here for multiple reasons, but this is a Mount Rushmore that he suggested. So Let's see if he has I would say we can text him and see if he can send them. He's already um, taken his NyQuil. He may, <laughs> may not be in any shape to respond. But. So, uh, Ryan, do you want to start us off on this one? So I don't really think of any specific thing when it comes to these. I know I'm being a bummer, especially with Gavin not being here to fill in the role. But So I just went with anything warm, as long as it's warm by <laughs> the time you get to it. You know, that is that is a good property, unless it's supposed to be cold. Yes, obviously. Right, I mean, because yeah. like some of the desserts, they're, mm -hmm. they're okay to be Warm cold. jello, not good. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Correct. That, that's good. All right, what do you got? Um, well, that's, that's, what, he, that's, that's what he's got. got. If it's <laughs> warm. Warm. Yep. That was his answer. One statue if it's warm. Okay, go ahead. Or, yes, just not cold or not hot jello. Whatever. Okay, anyways, Shannon Banderman's. This is one. I kind of went one to four. Shannon Banderman's taco salad. Very good. Uh dad's cream of mushroom potatoes which is something yes. that we haven't, we haven't made done for a while years and then ant ferns pecan pie ant ferns because i like them chopped up not whole and then tracy's which i'm not positive it's tracy males but that's what's in my head corn pudding and again i don't know if that's what it's called but it's something that you've made too in our yeah. thanksgiving meals yeah. it's like the, the cornbread that's yeah. not cornbread with corn in it yeah yeah i don't know what it's called yeah but so that's one of my favorite it's, things it's got meal in it you know so cornbread stuff but it's also got cream of corn in it and it's got uh like cream cheese usually um some jalapenos oh, so you put jalapenos in mm -hmm. them yeah good stuff uh all right so th this is very near and dear to my heart because uh i can't say it any better than uh, greg from fourfold said one time they came to ch to our homecoming probably six years in a row and after about the fourth year, he said, Brother Ben, he said, I, I go, we go to a bunch of churches. We eat a bunch of potlucks. And he said, Bethel does it right. He said, most churches, after the fourth dish, they all taste like onion. <laughs> he said, but well, he you probably was also going to more southern churches, no too. No doubt, no doubt. So, uh, and, and I, I'm giving credit, just like you did, so number four, uh, Virginia Burt slash Pat Houston's dumplings, the best. Tanya Schulte's broccoli salad, Aunt Fern slash Joanne uh, Burnett's pecan pie. I like it, chopped or whole mm -hmm. pecans. And then number one, and this will, this will be the biggest statue of all four, Maxine Hoffman's sweet corn. Hmm. It's not even close. Now this was corn out of her garden. And it did not have any silks in it, Ooh. which is a, an amazing miracle. I will say, she spent a long time cleaning yes, that. Yes, she did. She did. It was the creamiest corn. It was the sweetest corn. And I, I, that's the dish I went to. 
when when she was with us, I ate her corn every potluck. It was amazing. All right, awesome. So if you guys want to text in your answers, Gavin I'll didn't read respond, them. So. We can wait for him um, if we have time. But it's time to move on to mystery to topic, on. and it is Dad's time to do the mystery Yay. topic. All right. So uh, kind of like Ryan did a few weeks ago, uh, I'm, I'm going to involve you guys in this mystery topic. Uh, and we can make this as fun or serious as you want to make it. But uh, let's talk about the three arguments of prepping, okay? And I want to know what you guys think, which of these arguments is closest to the Bible? Hmm. Or do you think they all have, you know, their own... Uh, Place. Legs to stand on, right. Uh, so the first argument is you must be totally ready for the apocalypse, totally off-grid ability. So God forbid if tomorrow our nation gets bombed, uh, MP3'd or whatever you call that. emp Yeah, there you go. mp 3 I never can get I <laughs> That's never why I didn't say it because I knew I wouldn't right. either. I was just going to So wait. I just say MP3 and let the person correct me. <laughs> All right. Uh, EMP'd or whatever. So... Uh, if we get peed on and, uh, <laughs> and, and our electric stuff don't work and all that jazz, or if our nation goes rogue and Christianity becomes illegal and, you know, we, we can't buy food and all that jazz. So that's argument number one. We, you must be totally ready for the apocalypse. The second one, the prudent foresees the evil and hides themselves. So moderate prep, food independence to some level with knowledge of survival. So... No, you're, you're not living this lifestyle right here, right now, but with a little bit of work you could within a couple of weeks. You know, you're somewhat moderately prepared. And then number three, no prep. God will take care of us. No thought of tomorrow. Faith that God will supply us as we're needed. I feel like it's a trick question just because you kind of had Bible verses for the second and the <laughs> no, no. third one. So there's some biblical evidence for those, but the first one, you didn't have anything supporting that one. As far well, as biblical okay, so I mean, statements it's not meant go. to be a trick question. I, I do believe that the, the first one is the least supportable by Scripture. Right, right. You know? It depends on what you mean by being totally ready, because I feel like being totally ready could fit into number two just fine, as long as you have the attitude of, you know. Okay, so, so like you're still living in like a part of the community, but you have the ability to go off grid. Yeah. Yeah. N number one would be, all I got to do is walk to my basement and flip a switch. You know, <laughs> I'm you, moving you, to Alaska. That, stuff that's there. right. You, you go, go, you go from Crawford Electric to solar power that is not needed any f other help. You, you turn on another switch and you've got well water, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, you're, you're prepared, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, you've got three years of food in your basement. Uh, you've got 3,000 rounds of Two, two, three, and <laughs> you know what? Whatever. I mean, uh, I don't want to give away all my secrets, but <laughs> right. <laughs> you believe that? I got land to sell you. <laughs> all right. So, so y'all think the first one is the least supported by scripture? I think it's a mix of one and two would okay. be the best. Okay. I think. Okay. But I'm kind of melding the two together. Oh, so I don't he's really... adding a fourth yeah. level there. So, so no. you don't believe number three is scriptural? No. Okay. Yeah, that just seems a little too lackadaisical. Like, right. he does want us to know what's coming and be prepared. Yeah. But I I still appreciate the whole God will take yeah. care of you. Yeah. That's definitely what I tell myself when I'm not trying to worry about right. something. Well, and I think you have to ask yourself the question, why am I taking this view? Mm -hmm. If you're taking that view because you're lazy and you don't want to have to do all right, the work exactly. to prepare, eh, you know, you may need to continue yeah. to pray. And, and the same with the first one. If you're taking that view because, you know, I've got to take care of me. And, that's you know, right. Whatever God can do, he's going to yeah. lead me out of it type that, of thing. That's right. And, you know, and we've had this discussion back when Tara, you know, was sitting in your seat. And, and she was more of the third, certainly, than the first. Uh, because her, her point was, you know, if it's really that bad, no preparation is going to protect you necessarily from someone taking the stuff that you have you know, prepped, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, if it, if it gets that bad. Unless that's, you're more prepared I would say than that's, that's the view of someone who hasn't lived through those crises. Hey, you're right. Crises. You're right. 
You're right. Because well, course, let's face it, nobody in America that. has lived through those no, crises since no, 1920. No, most definitely not. Yeah, and most of that generation is gone. Um, but I think history will show you that it smiles a little bit more upon those uh, who are yeah. more prepared. Well, so, so that's why I'm more in the number two. The prudent foresees the evil and hides themselves. And, and, and I am woefully am unprepared compared to many others. But I, I have, through the years, amassed some skills. Uh, I believe that we would be all right. Special set of skills. Uh, yeah, that's right. I have a special have a set of skills. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've got a, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, with that said, I, I just, I think that's, you know, we're, we're seeing and reading stuff every day that would lead us to think or believe something's going on, mm-hmm. you know. Look at all the uh, food industry plants that have been destroyed. Mysteriously so. Airplanes have flown into them. Uh, boiler rooms have... Mysterious. Yeah, uh, blown up. And I don't know if you guys read it today, but uh, Mexico has now said that they're not accepting any uh, modified grain from hmm. anyone. Hmm. We give... They buy $10 billion worth of corn from America every year. Guess what? It's all. It's all modified. Modified. Yeah. It's, it's all modified. And so, um, you know, th- there's just all sorts of stuff uh, that, that, that is happening that would cause you to believe and think, Maybe we ought to grow a garden, you know, something along those lines. <laughs> right, you know. Or at least learn how to. get a, yeah. yeah. Would it not be prudent to do that? I mean, it's, oh, sure. yeah. it's pretty simple, really. Yeah. It, it really is. It, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't take a lot of work. And, of course, you know, these days raised beds is the, uh, you know, be all, end all. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, I, I just was curious what you guys thought about that. It's a good topic. I don't know if it took up enough time. Oh, no, I mean, it's <laughs> fine. We can, we can move on. Um, I was just thinking, like you've mentioned laziness, like I feel like I want to be the middle one, but then it is so much easier just to be, God will take care of me. And right. but it'll maybe, be fine. Maybe the way God's taking care of you is to help you to see, you know, have the prudence to see what's going on around you. Right, right. I, so, you know, <clears throat> and let's face it, I had this conversation years ago, uh, and, and well, you know, if, if so-and-so happens, we'll just all go to one spot and we'll only let the people in that have a, a, a skill that can benefit the community and this, that, and the other. And it all sounded good, but I, then I told them that the problem is is that if anyone is left here at Bethel Baptist Church after whatever event has happened, if the Lord doesn't relieve my burden, right. i, I got to stay here. This is where, you know, regardless of what happens in the world, this is my calling, this is my assignment, and so I'm going to have to stay put and make do, right. you know, and provide right. for my family. Right, and, that, and that's really, like, why the first one, you're removing yourself from the community. You are isolating yourself. It's very much, I hate to say selfish, but it is. You are focusing on yourself and on at least the people who are closest to you. You're not going to be able to extend a hand to the, to the community. And I think as a church and as Christians, we should always have that those channels open to be helping the community. Absolutely. All right, well, we'll go ahead and move on to our break because we're going to need a few extra minutes for that one. Hopefully, maybe not, but um, we're doing a new game. It's called Just a Minute. And so this one, I'm, I never know what's going to happen with these games. This one, we are going to have the wheel spin, and it will pick a random, not yet, Brad, but it'll pick <laughs> a random um, topic, and a panelist will have to talk for one whole minute about that topic without stuttering stopping or repeating themselves. Now, I'm going to say we can't have vocal fills as in like word. So like if you say so or like <laughs> a lot, that's fine. But uh, um, or not, okay. So like okay. word vocal fills are fine, but just sounds can't are not. can be okay. quiet and reflective not a pause just for a moment. No, that's stopping. I'm going to say a stop of like, Two seconds. sec, three, right. yeah, two to three seconds right. is, and, and so I will be, I will have my timer about, going and everything. How about but phrase fillings like I really must say? <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, that's fine. In fact, that's probably what's gonna save you if you can try to rely <laughs> on some of those. So, because some of these uh, topics are interesting, um, and again, I'm sad that Uncle Gavin's not here to talk about his. Loser. But <laughs> so it's not gonna be your topic. So, um. 
Dad, are you okay trying to jump in first and do the yeah, first sure. one? Sure. Okay, so Brad, go ahead, hit the wheel. Tell me when you're going to start. Whenever you... So, okay, so... <laughs> this is Ryan's. You have to talk about the world in the eyes of a worker bee that is sentient. Okay, you, what does sentient mean? Aware of itself. Aware. Oh, okay. So you're you're the voice of the worker bee. <laughs> what okay? if I'm not aware? <laughs> okay. I'm right. going to give you five, four, three, two, go. My day starts as it does every day. I'm getting up with all the other worker bees, and our first responsibility is to leave the hive and look for sugar so that we can continue making of the honey and pollen. Uh, and there is a f person way out on Highway 30. You take a right on some road, and he's got little uh, jars with uh, sugar water in it. And we go there, and he's got other bees, but we kill them. And then we get the sugar water, and we fly back and we bring the sugar water to our, uh, you know, beehive. And that the worker bees within the beehive takes that sugar and puts it in the little hive and that creates the honey and all that neat stuff. And then, you know, every once in a while we have to do stuff for the, uh, what's her name, queen. And then we get, every once in a while we get ants that come into the beehive and we get aphids. Uh, I think the aphids are good and we farm them. Did you know that? We actually farm the aphids. Uh, but then we kill Time. the... So you had, yeah, that was great. That was beautiful. Yes. <laughs> you had four us. So instead of stopping you, I just kind of let you go. Because you never stopped. It was just a, it yeah. was, you know, it was that. Yeah. It was just a, yeah. So I, you, that was great. I did not know how that one was going to go. I'm going to be perfectly honest. That well, one was once I knew it's sentient, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to lie. I was like, I'm going to have to look that up before I go. So I, I know what's happening. Okay. Ryan, are you good to go? Sure. Okay. Brad, hit the wheel. I just want to go last because I'm nervous. Okay, so this is Dad's topic, it's and it's three. I, you're right. I noticed that right when I saw it. it's the three chairs. Do you understand what we're saying? Yeah. When we're talking about okay. Ready? Five, four, three, two, one. So this is a sermon that first I heard from Brad, and it was very good, and it talks about three chairs lined up left to right, starting with the leftmost chair being someone who is matured in the faith and is teaching the person in the middle chair who proceeds to teach the person in the next chair and so on. But the person on the leftmost chair doesn't have someone feeding into them, so that is not where you would like to be. The person in the rightmost chair has someone feeding into them, but they're not feeding into anyone else. So you want to be in the centermost chair, so you're being both edified and edifying other people, because that is where we should be in God's will, and I'm going to continue to <laughs> pause for about five more seconds, I hope. You lost. <laughs> you got to 40, um, 40, oh, hold on, sorry, about minus 345 seconds. Bummer. Yes, you were so you close. <laughs> you I was like, it. I was like, where you is he going to go that's, after? That's the three chairs. Yeah, yes, very good. Okay, so wolf. Okay, let's see. I got it. Well, you can just hit start, but uh, Brad, hit the wheel, please. Uh, well, I really hope, oh, okay, good. This is your topic. No, this is actually Uncle Gavin's topic, and I'm still probably going to fail at it. It's the darkest time in the Bible. My topic was, what does the color gray taste like? And I'm glad I didn't have to do it. You are, okay, we're going to start. Five, four, three, two, one. The darkest time in the Bible, I think, can be debated because I was trying to think, what could be the darkest time in the Bible? Well, it could be, obviously, when Jesus died on the cross and the, the sun went away, basically, and God had turned his back from Jesus and he had officially died and sin was in control at that time, the devil was in control at that time, and the temple thing ripped. That, obviously, I think is a good argument for the darkest time. It was obviously the darkest time in the disciples' life because they thought the Savior, who was going to take them out of Roman 
power died and it was no longer there, but I think also some of the darkest times could have been um, during the flood when Noah and his family were the only humans left on the earth and they were spending all that time with stinky animals and also on a whole bunch of water that they had never seen before. This was a completely new experience for them. And then when they had to come back and then repopulate, I think that would have been a dark time of, of very much alone. But then also another dark time could have been when the Israelites were in the captivity of um, Israel because they had come there and refuge and being of being saved and I'm I'm time look at that I was just enthralled with what you were saying I was pulling it all out <laughs> of the air because I was like I don't really know if any of these are dark times but we're gonna go for it I think the they darkest would be times. before God said let there be light oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're so but right um, but I'm I was I spent a whole minute talking nothing you, I didn't have the right answer you think that's what Gavin meant I don't know what Gavin meant. I didn't ask because I didn't, Do we ever you know. know what Gavin means? No. <laughs> See, this is beat up on Gavin night because he's not here. Well, yeah, he can't defend himself. That's right. Maybe we'll have him do his segment yeah. next week just to tell us what he was thinking about. Because I, I was interested because I was like, hmm, that, that's coming from somewhere. What's in your head, boy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I loved that game. Thanks, guys. Yes. I appreciate that. Okay. So I really, though, did kind of want to hear someone talk about what the color grade tastes like. So I'll keep that for the next time if we ever play it again. So we're moving on to this precarious moment, chapters 31 and 32. All right. So I'm going to say, Dad, you're in charge of this yeah. one, too. Uh, this is the history lesson, if you will, of how Israel became Israel. Uh, we've already been talking about uh, the fact that Essentially, since World War One, well, no, even even back um, in the late 1800s, you know, England was trying to get uh, a settlement, and and of course the Arabs were fighting it for everything that they were worth, um, and so now in chapters, uh, is it 30 and 31 or 29 and 30? I have 31 and 30. Okay. But I don't we, we did. Uh, it, it's 3031. Okay. Finally, a land for the Jews. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to look here. No. No, we did 30. It's on chapter 31, the modern rebirth of Israel. Because we talked right. about all of So it's 31 stuff. and 32. Yes. Correct? I believe I yeah. said that. Yes. All right. So sorry. Uh, bad radio. Uh, so... Chaos in the Holy Land, uh, he talks about. Uh, so from 1946 uh, and, and those two years there, uh, you had on November the 29th, 1947, the UN vote. Uh, it's interesting, he says here, when the plan came to a vote before the full United Nations for all practical purposes, the Jews were blackmailed by the Vatican into giving up Jerusalem and handing it over to the United Nations. The Catholic nations of Latin America made plain they would cast their votes in favor of partition only if the Jews let the city go. On November the 29th, 1947, the United Nations voted by a two-thirds majority to approve the partition of Palestine, creating two states, one Jewish and one Arab. The plan was scheduled to go into effect on May 1948. But the Arabs continued to adamantly oppose it because it acknowledged the right of the Jews to exist as a nation in the Middle East. Now, what he goes on to explain in uh, this particular chapter is that as a result, the Arabs saw this as their opportunity to once and for all destroy Israel. Because if they're going to become a nation, then they can be destroyed. Okay, hmm. that they're not going to be protected by any other nation type no, thing. right. And, and so we, we can get after it. The problem also was who was going to recognize Israel as a nation? Because if they got the right or enough allies, then that would send a chilling effect to the Arabs. You need to be careful here what you do. We're taking notes, you know, type thing. And so... Midnight Jerusalem time, uh, 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern time zone, uh, the British mandate, that is British control over the region, was set to end by midday. 
Arab nations were mobilizing to pounce on the new Jewish state and eradicate it before it could begin. Egyptian forces were massed in the Negev, the southern region of Israel. Jordanian and Iraqi troops were positioned all along the Jordan River, and Syrian forces were marching from the north toward Palestine. In Tel Aviv, the founding fathers of the nation of Israel, led by David Ben-Gurion, voted six to four in favor of independence. At the United Nations, the Arab states were still trying to force a vote on a last-minute resolution to prevent the creation of a Jewish state. So that's at 6 p.m. Well, at 6.11 p.m., Israel's only hope for legitimacy was if the United States recognized the new nation. Now, th this is cool stuff. America did so. But the circumstances surrounding that declaration were remarkable. President Franklin Roosevelt, despite the U.N. vote, was firmly anti-Zionist. And remember, what's a Zionist? A Zionist is someone that believes that Israel is a, and, and deserves to be an independent nation. Mm -hmm. That they can, as a result, uh, be, they can protect themselves and they can grow as a nation. Uh, that's a rough paraphrase of the three things. It, it, it is, but just work with me. Now, uh, <laughs> President Fro Franklin uh, he repeatedly declaring that he would not support Israeli statehood. He died in office only a week after he once again reaffirmed his opposition to a Jewish nation in Israel and only four weeks before Israel's declaration of statehood. Now, I want to remind you, I, I, I don't have one iota against President Franklin Roosevelt other th huh? I said I have a few. That's fine. Other than to tell you, the scripture says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. On Roosevelt's death, Vice President Harry Truman became president. His view toward Israel was very different. At 6.11 p.m., only 11 minutes after Israel's announcement of its independence and over the strong objections of those in his own cabinet, including his Secretary of State General of the Army, George C. Marshall, Truman boldly declared official support for the new nation. Truman in the United States became the first in the world to officially recognize and express support for reborn Israel. Hmm. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. So in Israel's first day, they were attacked by six nations. Isn't that a way to come in? They know how to make an entrance. Yep. So again... The, the, they and I, I won't, you know, as Molly said earlier, for copyright reasons, I'm not going to read this chapter verbatim. But it was 400,000 Jews against four or six, six nations four. that had armies that just were unbelievable. But God somehow it was 45 million Arabs against 400. Right. But yeah. I mean, that, there wasn't 45 million in the armies of these Arab nations. There was 45 millions in 45 million in the nations. Oh, okay. You see, what I'm saying 45 oh, okay. million population. Yes. 400,000 population in the Jews, bunkered on a tiny strip of land comprising only one eighth of one percent of the 6.1 million square miles of the Arab lands into the sea. Few gave the fledgling nation of Israel much hope for survival. They basically uh, lost half of Jerusalem. Uh, the boundaries and the borders were much smaller than were intended, but they survived. They survived. And after the war, they established independence. Now, in chapter 32, it talks about the miraculous six-day war. In those years between 1946 and 1967, and I'm sorry, 1948 to 1967, Israel grew. Once they realized, once the Jews throughout the world realized that, hey, they, it's a legit nation now, they grew. And so as a result, not only did they grow in population, they grew in military might. So uh, they had a six-day war in 1967, and again, it was an absolute miracle. Uh, these are, I think these are David Barton's words. The birth of Israel in 1948 was miraculous. It was a nation coming back to life after being absent from the world scene for 2,000 years. The Six-Day War in 1967 was equally miraculous. So by the spring of 1967, the situation had markedly deteriorated. There was significant Syrian military buildup occurring in the Golan Heights, the Israeli-controlled region along the border with Syria. And so... He goes through here and shows you uh, how they were surrounded. You had, you had Egypt on one side 
Uh, you had Jordan on the other side, and then the inexplicable, unexplainable war happened. On June the 5th, the Six-Day War began, with Israel launching a preemptive strike on Egypt's Air Force, effectively wiping it out. That's, that's pretty unbelievable. Simultaneously, Israeli ground forces attacked the Egyptian army amassed in the Sinai, virtually eliminating Egypt's capacity to fight. By the end of the second day of battle, or two days in, Israel was in command of Gaza as well as the Sinai region of Egypt. Jordan attacked Jerusalem, thereby opening the door not only for Israel to reclaim the other part of Jerusalem, but also Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. After destroying the Jordanian Air Force, Israel pressed its ground attack, and by sundown on June the 7th, Judea, Samaria, and the old city of Jerusalem were back in Israeli hands. Jews would, could once again pray at the Western Wall. By June 8th, Israel had captured the Suez Canal, thus ending Egypt's blockade against them. After another day, the Israelis controlled the entire Golan Heights in the north, the part of Israel from which Syria launched its attacks. On June the 10th, after only six days of fighting, the Arabs called for a ceasefire, <laughs> and the war was over. Now, th this is the big thing here. For Israel, she increased her land size fourfold, but she was still only a small part of what was set aside for her in the Belfort Declaration and what she historically was. For the Arabs, it was a crushing and humili humili humiliating defeat. In a gesture of goodwill, Israel generously, get this, oh, yeah. handed the sacred Muslim temple mount in the unified Jerusalem back over to Arab supervision in hopes it would gender peace. It did not. <laughs> nope. So, wow. Uh, I will bless those who bless you. That would you. make a good movie. Yeah, I'm telling you. You couldn't uh, make it, but that would make yeah. a good movie. Well, I, is that not what Gavin was referring to that, that uh, Kirk Douglas did? Or was that another I thought it was something slice else. of the history of, of Israel? So, it, yeah, it, it's pretty amazing what God did and has done and is doing to preserve Israel. Uh, and so, now I don't know. Uh, yeah, the, the next chapter is the rise of anti-Semitism among Christians. Interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, oh, wow, Uncle Gavin was also supposed to have our word of wisdom. So no wisdom for us tonight. But um, I hope you guys come back next week and we'll have him give it to you then. I hope you invite your friends and neighbors and relatives to next week and share the word on your socials. Bethelongdale.com. Mm -hmm. Good night and God bless. Thank you.